Well, as Pastor Cliff said, this morning we're going to kind of bring you an update for our trip this last week to India. And uh, for those of you who are not aware, we went there to host a pastor's conference. John Paul and Isaac Pinapati, two brothers in a, um, in a church in Tenali, India, and a tremendous ministry down there, uh, had wanted to have a pastor's conference for all their pastors. It's been on their heart for a long time, and this week was a culmination of that, and hence my garb. Oh, I guess there is children's church this morning, and so... I know they're all anxiously awaiting. So children, this is from fifth grade and under. You guys may be released to go to children's church. So um, th- so that's the setting for this morning, just to share our trip to India and tell you a little bit about it. I thought I would first start uh, by talking about how God's hand has moved. Uh, I know many of you know some of the story or maybe even all of the story of John Paul and his ministry in India. But I thought I would share just kind of from the beginning how everything came together uh, in just the first few minutes. Uh, I met John Paul at the Shepherds Conference in 2014. And I was there, Pastor Cliff wasn't there at that particular conference. And John Paul was there specifically to look for um, training and connection for pastoral training for all of the people under his ministry. And I thought, well, this is the perfect place because what better? The Shepherds Conference, you have all these pastors here. They have resources, and Grace Community Church has just tremendous worldwide resources. This will be great for him. And I met him and his brother. They were both there. And just as a reminder, uh, Isaac Pinapati, John Paul's older brother, is the senior pastor of the church in Tenali. It's the central church that grew out of it 80 other churches. And John Paul oversees the ministry at church planting. He has helped plant all those churches and raise the pastors uh, up in those churches. And the need was for pastoral training because none of those men had been to any kind of um, formalized uh, Bible training. It's all been done through John, Paul, and Isaac, and that was his big need. That's what John Paul kept saying over and over again. I need to bring training to these pastors. So um, as we left, John Paul had made connections with lots of pastors. Now he's emailing us, trying to get some kind of training going. And oddly enough, months go by, and he has not been able to have any kind of traction. He can't find any kind of resources. Uh, Cliff and I have connected him with other people, and nothing's working. Uh, and so in October of 2014, Pastor Cliff started doing Skype training to these pastors. A number of pastors that were close enough to where John Paul was, they would gather, and Pastor Cliff would uh, train them over Skype, and John Paul would translate. And that's how things got started. Um, oddly enough, they never asked for money. Now, their financial need was huge, as we all remember, but they never asked for money. They kept just asking for pastoral training. Uh, Christmas came that year. Cliff actually asked John Paul, hey, do you guys need anything at Christmas? And he gave us some humble requests, and it was not a lot of money. And 
GBF, you guys responded, and thank you. And we raised a little bit of money that they needed to give gifts to their widows and to their pastors and to the orphans. And we sent that to them that year. That was Christmas 2014. Um, we had a heart at GBF to do more. And the elders properly said, you know, we need to get to know John Paul better. And we need to do an evaluation trip. And so it was in early 2015, we went ahead and brought John Paul back out to the 2015 Shepherds Conference, a way for us to spend another week concentrated with him, get to know him a little better, and um, really hear more about his ministry. And then to kind of float the idea, do we do an evaluation trip? And, of course, he was very welcoming of us to do an evaluation trip. And in October 2015... Uh, Pastor Cliff and his wife, Debbie, uh, Bob and Paige Burgess, and myself uh, went to rural southeast India. Um, and it's the first time I had been on the continent. It, um, it was life-changing. And all of what John Paul had told us, the ministry, the depth of the ministry, all the pastors, we visited countless churches, and we shared all that with you at the time, um, we found John Paul and Isaac to be men of integrity in a continent or in an area where there's not a lot of integrity with a lot of Christian churches there. There's a lot of scams that come out of India, um, and we wanted to be very careful and watchful. We were getting involved but not too heavily involved until we really did this trip. And the trip showed us that John Paul and Isaac were both men of integrity in the ministry and the ministry need was great. Um, our team saw everything there was to see. Uh, we came back and re-reported all to you guys. And many of you asked, how can we give? And John Paul hadn't really said anything about a financial need, though the financial need was obvious. But he had not put upon us a financial need. But when you see the pictures that we all saw, orphans, you know, 30 orphans living in a hut, uh, widows barely able to make ends meet, uh, living on the streets. Uh, GBF wanted to respond. We asked John Paul, and John Paul shared, as you probably remember, a list of practical needs and a list of real capital needs. And some of the practical needs was a water well, um, a wheelchair for his invalid daughter, a uh, washing machine and refrigerator uh, for the orphans. Uh, the orphans at that time were washing by hand their own clothes and detergent, just kind of burning their fingers um, because the detergent's too harsh, but that, that's the cheapest soap they can find. Um, no refrigeration, refrigeration for their food. So the little bit of food they can pull together, they have spoilage. Um, basic things that... Actually, we don't even think about many times in our own lives. But those were some of the practical needs. And then there were some large capital needs, large by their standards. They they wanted to buy land and build a building for the widows to get them off the streets um, so they could have their own home. And we did that. And by U.S. standards, it's small, $14,000 to buy the land, $15,000 to buy the land and build a building for them, uh, which through the graciousness of GBF, um, we were able to do. But there was land for the widows in a building, land for the orphans in a building. And 
all this ministry was being done without a vehicle. Uh, John Paul had planted 80 churches. And he's visiting those churches and they're going out in ministry and they're going out to evangelize other villages and start other churches all without any kind of vehicle. So those were some of the capital needs. And um, the hand of God moved. And you guys were incredibly gracious. And some of the other churches that John Paul had connected with uh, at the Shepherds Conference, he had been connecting with those guys. He had been sharing with them through email. And some of them participated uh, in those capital needs as well. Um, but GBF, you guys gave like over $40,000 to those to those things. Um, and uh, it was powerful. Um, by God's power, seeing his hand move in a relatively short period of time. It was last October. It was just over a year ago that these needs came. And essentially, all of them have been met. Uh, and again, from your gracious giving. Um, this week, we were once again able to kind of see things and confirm. We visited churches, a church, uh, late Sunday service. We were able to go back to the elderly home that they have, which is kind of a covered patio. It's the, the, the pastor of that church who started that ministry. He, they put a little covered patio out in front of his house, between his house and the street. That's where they meet for church. And in that little village, there are a tremendous number of homeless elderly people. And so he has them gather um, there on this patio. And that's where they live. One bathroom, a bunch of mats on this patio, 35 or so elderly people. And that's a dream for them for the future is to put together a home for them. They've identified the land uh, that they hope to purchase and uh, to build a house uh, for them. Um, do you have that first slide of mine? Um, I just wanted to show you the orphanage. So there's the new orphanage. Uh, and we were able to have the ribbon cutting ceremony there that day. Um, and so all the orphans are gathered there. And uh, Pastor Cliff was able to cut the ribbon and so the house, it's finished, and it's all gravelly. I, don't, I can't believe those kids can run around on the gravel like they do. But there needs to be some, some finish-up and button-up things um, in that house, and we will hopefully be getting to those needs in the next couple of months. But it was great to be able to see that come together. Could you give me the next slide? And that's where we were a year ago. On the left, it was literally a hut, and it's literally... It's not even half the size of this stage. 30 kids in there living inside there. Um, and so just to be able to see that in a short period of time um, is a tremendous blessing internally. And then the next slide, I believe, is the widow's home. Yeah, the widow's home, that was that's like a barn um, that the widows were living in. And and that's only a couple of them. They, they were living on the streets and wherever they can. And that's the widow's home. And we've been sharing those details over the over the last years. It's been completed. But just being able to see the contrast is a tremendous. Um, but coming out of, of the need that we saw there and the financial need, there was other structural needs as needed as well. And uh, what I mean by structure is formalization. Uh, John Paul and uh, um, Isaac, not familiar with American culture, don't know how things are done here. 
Uh, but when we came back last year, we wanted to help them get things structurally right. So Pastor Cliff and I helped them start a U.S. Uh, nonprofit organization and got that up and running last February. Um, it's Christ to India. And that's the website that we also put together because they had no formalized way of communicating with the other pastors and other churches that they're making contact with, no way to get their message out consistently. So we helped them put a couple of those things together as well so that people in churches across the U.S., as they start hearing about this more and more from pastors that come from the Shepherds Conference, we can they, they can have a place to land and see information and make donation. So we were able to do that. Um, and then coming into last year's 2016 Shepherds Conference, uh, ourselves and another church helped host John Paul, and he came back out, and we wanted to help show that that whole organization and communication structure and share everything. So at the Shepherds Conference, where John Paul had been for a couple of years and, and um, using all those relationships that he had connected, we had a lunch one of the days at the conference, and we were able to share our evaluation trip. Because, like I said, there's a lot of scams there. And I'm sure a lot of those pastors are just kind of wondering, you know, they don't know John Paul. What, what, you know, what do they think? How do they support him? Do they support him? And this was a way for us to share our evaluation trip, help to create a way for them to communicate and see the website. Uh, it was a tremendous time. And out of that, we now have several churches um, donating to help um, the ministry there. And we have people interested in uh, more pastoral training. So the need is getting out there. The, the, the hearing of the need is getting out there to some of the other churches here in the U.S. Uh, and that's been a good thing. Um, coming out of last year's Shepherds Conference, the biggest thing that was still on the heart of John Paul, we had done some Skype training we had done some, you know, being able to get them some more information. But the biggest thing that was on John Paul's heart was to have a shepherd's conference in India, a place where all of his pastors could come. And we had about 150 pastors, a chance for them to come for two, three, four days, rest, relax, learn, be re-energized for the ministry, just as the shepherd's conference does for us pastors a place where they could have good food for a couple of days, and then great training. It was just on his heart very, very heavy. He kept sharing it with us. And that became, it had been a long time prayer request for him, and it became a prayer request for us and GBF, as you remember us sharing that with you. And uh, I have to say the highlight of the trip for me was the trip, because seeing all of this come together for John Paul, the conference itself, you know, being able to come. He had been praying for that for a long period of time. We had started praying, is this in God's will, and do we have the resources financially for it to come together? Do we have pastors willing to be able to go? And seeing all that culminate and come together was a tremendous thing to see and to be a part of. And I'm, I'm very honored that I was able to be a part of it, um, I was very honored to be able to travel and go there, be a part of the teaching group that spoke for that day, um, and just being a tool from GBF. Um, you got behind it. You supported us. And um, so to me, the highlight 
It's hard to pick a particular day or a particular time or a particular event. It was the event itself. And those are the guys that pulled it all off, right? there In the middle is John Paul and his brother uh, Isaac. John Paul's on the right. Of course, Pastor Cliff. Uh, Stephen Williams, an, another Indian pastor. Uh, relationship with Cliff. I'm sure Cliff will speak about that. Uh, and then J.R. and I. And uh, it was tremendous. God has brought us to two men of high integrity in John, Paul, and Isaac. And uh, I do. I consider it an honor to be working with them. And I praise God for the two of them. They're a half world away. Um, they're evangelizing in a persecuted land. They're planting churches, uh, bringing the gospel to people. Uh, and it is. It's an honor to be connected with them. So with that, I think, Jr. are you the next one up? I see Pastor Cliff's looking at his watch. I'm probably sure I'm over time. Uh, good morning. Well, for me, um, in terms of my history with India, I had never been to uh, the country before. I had been on a number of short-term missions trips, but uh, I had never been to India. Back in 2007, uh, a good buddy of mine actually went to India for a missions trip and he came back, this was January 2007, and I went over to his place after he had gotten back. We were in San Diego at the time, and he shared about his trip. And I remember being really moved. He he saw me get moved about the things that had happened, you know, in his missions trip. And later that year, he had asked me to go with him. And I prayed about it and decided to actually go to another country for, uh, for, a, for another missions trip that summer. But then I, I told him that, at some point, I did want to go to India, uh, just just based off of the conversation that we had. And I don't know if he took me seriously, but last year, uh, I sent him a text message. This is, uh, you know, eight years later, and I said, uh, our church has uh, started a missions ministry to India, and I think I might go. And so he got excited, and the opportunity came to go, and I said, well, opportunity's here. And so uh, I took the opportunity to go, and so... So this was my first time uh, in India, and it was a long trip. I think it, the, the total amount of time it took to get from the San Francisco airport to where we were was, I think, 22 hours. Um, there was a 12-hour time difference, and so we were on the opposite side of the globe, and I, I kept waking up at 3 in the morning every morning and never got over the jet lag. But... Uh, you know, driving through the marketplace and, and the different regions in Tenali, I think the thing that stuck out to me was you saw almost no um, Christian culture there. Um, and you, you didn't see churches, you didn't see Bibles, you didn't see people with uh, Jesus bumper stickers on, on their cars. You know, so uh, this was an unchurched region. And it was sobering because it, it reminded me of how we grew up. I grew up in Southeast Asia as well, and we had no Christian influence either. And the only reason why the gospel came to our family was because Billy Graham went for one of his crusades or, or evangelistic crusades, and uh, one of our family friends heard the gospel, shared it with my uncle, who shared it with my brother, who shared it with me, and that's that's my history of Christianity. But in terms of the region we were in, uh, there was no Christian influence. There was no church culture. And... Seeing how India was just reminded me of 
what you know what things are really like and and God was gracious to me um I did start to wonder after a while when we first got there uh <laughs> so who how is salvation supposed to happen with you know with these people because um there's nothing here and and you just see uh thousands of people walking around you and they have no concept of who uh, who Jesus Christ is. And then we get to the conference and you see 150 pastors who have Bibles translated into their language um, and they're absorbing everything that we're seeing and they're committed to going out. And, and then you, you get the hope. And that I think that's what made me excited to actually go and preach there because you, you know that something's going to happen. Um, you only hope and pray that they'll actually have the courage to take what uh, we've equipped them with and, and take it back to I take it back to their villages where and and they're going to be the first generation of people who uh are going to spearhead the gospel ministry there. So a couple highlights for me um you know if there uh the orphanage was the first one because this was my first time actually in an orphanage and um th- this was eye opening because I I felt guilty just leaving my kids for a week and then to to run into 30 kids who um had no parents uh, and had no shoes, and, and this was on gravel too, and it's hot. Um, and they probably only had one or two pairs of clothing. was was a li- actually a little depressing. Um, but then you interact with them, and you see the joy in their faces because we're there to see them, and because they're being taken care of by John Paul. And now to think that they're going to be one of the few uh, people in that population who are going to hear the gospel from childhood because of John Paul's ministry. And so this was a blessing just to be able to cut the ribbon and and see how happy they were to be in their new facility. And, and so keep praying for them. And um, and I know Derek spoke on adoption yesterday, and we were th- or on this past Sunday, and we were thinking about that message while we were there because we knew that was being that was being taught here. And and to see the reality of thirty kids in front of you who have no parents is, is actually not easy, especially as a father. But that, that was one of the highlights for me. Uh, and the second one was obviously the uh, the conference. And so uh, I think Cliff may have taken that picture. He was right behind me. I didn't know he was taking that picture. But uh, th- these are all the pastors who were at the conference. And, um, and again, you see 150 of them, and they're, they're the beacons of light for the region. And that, to me, was encouraging. I uh, was able to... Uh, preach and teach six times. So there were two messages on the Bible, uh, the doctrine of the Bible, two on the doctrine of salvation, and, and one on the doctrine of Satan and demons, and the other on uh, creation and origins. And so uh, getting to be part of that teaching team with, with Pastor Cliff and Bob and Stephen Williams was, to me, an honor. And this was a, an answered prayer for me because for about a year, uh, I had been praying just on my own for um, for two things, um, for an opportunity to go back uh, and do uh, a short-term missions trip uh, outside of the U.S., and then to be able to equip pastors at the same time, and and both of those happened in this trip. And so this was this was a huge answer prayer, and I I, I communicated that to Pastor Cliff and Bob when we were on the trip. And so I was honored to be there uh, to see these to see these pastors absorbing everything and to to work with Isaac who with Pastor Isaac who translated everything phenomenally um for a while you, you know I was wondering well should I break things up and should I 
just go one sentence at a time for him to translate, but then you realize that he actually understands everything you're saying. And I knew that because when I would say something that was that was in bold print on my sheet, uh, he would translate it, and after he would translate it, the people would say, Amen. And I'm like, wow, he got everything. He got everything on spot. And I would even get the drum rolls because there was a guy who was playing the electric guitars, and every time I'd say something profound, I'd get this drum roll. And I'm like, I feel like I'm on the, <laughs> the Dave Letterman show. But so... Uh, thank you for, uh, thank you for praying for us. Um, physically, it's not the easiest trip to go to with, with that kind of a, a time zone difference in the travel time and, um, and, and getting used to, you know, the environment there. So we appreciated your prayers. Um, and I don't know. We'll see what happens again next year. Amen. Well, my uh, goal here is to, I'm going to share with you uh, the details of the trip from beginning to end. We flew out on Friday morning at a SFO until we landed one week later at SFO. And uh, a joy to do so before I, so I got a little PowerPoint here for you, um, if I can. Get this thing rolling. There we go. We have, for those of you who have been visiting or visiting today, because I know I, I saw some visitors walking in the door. Maybe some of you are visiting the church for the first time uh, here at Grace Bible Fellowship. And just so you know, to give you some context, uh, we're having Mission Sunday. We don't do this every Sunday. Um, usually when we have a missions trip from somebody in our church, which is a few times a year, but... Uh, other than that, we're going through the book of Acts on a regular basis. So up to this point, we've covered Acts chapter 1, and now we are in Acts chapter 9. And in terms of setting a theme for this morning, I want to take us back to Acts chapter 1. I want to read the whole verse. That's part of the verse. So this is uh, where we're at. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said to his uh, disciples and his apostles, after his resurrection, just prior to his ascension, he was about to leave. He knew it. He was going to send his Holy Spirit to start the church on the day of Pentecost. And thus the church would be born. And the church was given a mandate, an authoritative mandate from the Lord Jesus himself 2,000 years ago. And here was the mandate, or at least part of it. Jesus told his disciples, wait, be patient, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that happened with the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And not just the apostles, but all who believed that were with them, totaling 120 people. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. My martyrs is the Greek word, martyr, witness. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, which is where they lived. That's where it started. The church was to begin in Jerusalem. Christ's servants would be witnesses on his behalf. His spokesperson telling them the gospel all throughout Jerusalem, infiltrate Jerusalem, and then go beyond the vicinity of Jerusalem into Samaria and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That was the mandate. Be my witnesses. Speak for me. Start here in Jerusalem. Tell everybody that you can in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so, and then the book of Acts picks up with that theme and shows the faithfulness of the, and the obedience of the apostles and the disciples, 
As they begin to fulfill this mandate, they share the gospel all throughout Jerusalem. Then they go on the outskirts of Jerusalem into Judea. And then they trickle up into Samaria as they're taking the gospel there. And then already in the gospel, we saw it spreading even to Ethiopia, going down south uh, into Africa. And then we also saw it going to Damascus and Syria in our last sermon. And now, with practical application 2,000 years ago, we continue carrying the baton with this mandate as Christians, and that's our goal, and that's what this trip was all about. It was uh, taking the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. And so our trip, uh, so it starts, if you can't see it very well, actually, Robert, if you can hit that uh, bottom house lights, maybe some of these lights go off, and that'll help us on our, uh, see a little bit better. If you want to move up uh, to see, uh, get a better seat, you're welcome to do that. A couple rows open right here. So uh, the arrow starts with Jerusalem, then all the way to California, and then from California, 8,700 plus miles to Tanali, India. That's where we went. 8,700 miles for a total of 16, over 17,000 miles that we traveled uh, to go there with this mission. Uh, before we get into the details of the trip, just wanted to introduce. Uh, we, so it was, we were praying, okay, God, who do you want us to, who do you want to go to uh, lead this uh, first ever pastors, Bible pastors conference in this area of India. And so uh, we've been praying, and we even asked other pastors from other churches. Uh, then I thought of Stephen Williams. Uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen's father, Chris Williams, is from India, born and raised in India. Uh, Chris Williams, I heard him speak in the chapel at the Master's College 30, almost 30 years ago, and he happens to be a good friend of John MacArthur, and he's actually the executive director of Grace to You in India. Chris Williams, he lives right in the heart of India. And then uh, Chris has two sons. They grow up. They're both pastors. One of them is Stephen Williams. So Stephen Williams was born and raised in India uh, on more towards the west coast of India. And about seven years ago, I'm teaching at the Cornerstone Seminary, and I'm beginning a new class. And there's a student literally sitting in the chair right in front of me on the first day of class. And we go around and meet the students. And I, he got to himself, and he said, My, I'm Stephen Williams, and I'm from India. And I said, wow, uh, I know a guy from India. His name's Chris Williams. And then he says, well, that was my dad. It's like, no way. What are you doing here? Because um, he's good friends with John MacArthur, and, and his one of his sons went to the Master's Seminary. Why are you here at the Cornerstone Seminary? He said, well, I want to go to the best seminary. I said, oh, that's a good, good answer, good answer. A for you when we haven't even started the class. Anyway. So that's where I met Stephen Williams, excellent student, wonderful young man of God, single at the time. He took a couple of classes from me, and his goal was to uh, leave India, come to the Cornerstone Seminary, live there for four years, be a part of the local ministry at Community Bible Church, be discipled, mentored, get trained with a seminary education, go back and plant a church in India. So that's exactly what he did. Four years uh, at our seminary, went back to India about when he graduated, say, three, four years ago, and has planted a church. And God is blessing, and it's hard work, and that's where Stephen is. And so ever since our connections with John Paul, I was thinking, I need to connect with Chris Williams, his family, and Stephen Williams and get them involved. So God honored that. Stephen accepted the challenge. He came, and he was one of our team, and he was an absolute blessing. Uh, and the, the Indian pastors thoroughly enjoyed having Stephen there. You know, there's these foreigners, us. They liked us, but they really liked Stephen, one of their own, even though he didn't speak their language. It's a different dialect. Uh, but there was a sense that he was kind of one of their own. So that was that was a highlight for me, having Stephen there, and he did a fantastic job. Uh, and that's his wonderful little family there. So um, 
so here's how the trip began. So uh, we landed 22 hours of uh, airfare travel. They picked us up at the local airport, and they picked us up in a vehicle that Grace Bible Fellowship uh, provided for them. We told you a year ago, they have one of their greatest needs is John Paul's trying to drive around and get around uh, a, a one-and-a-half-hour circumference from reaching all these village pastors. And he has to rent a car and rent a driver every time he does it. Very costly. And he can't go when he wants to go half the time. And so GBF... Uh, contributed money to, to purchase this car. This is the Grace Bible Fellowship Missionary Car, I believe he calls it, of India. And so they picked us up. It was a beautiful car, uh, and it does, it gets a lot of miles and on very rough terrain. So we thank God for that. So we drive 22, uh, or we fly 22 hours. We did get a little respite and break between. They pick us up, and then we drive maybe 30 to 45 minutes before we even get to John Paul's place in our first stop. He says, we're stopping at a church along the way. And so we went to this very remote church down an alley, about probably about as wide as the uh, aisle here in the church, and you're supposed to fit a car through there. And on this side are houses and uh, actually huts, and on this side are huts. And right there in the middle of the block, boom, there was this little rinky-dink building, and it was a church, and there it is. It's about 10 feet wide, as you can see there. And I preached for about 10 to 15 minutes there, and I just preached the gospel. And mostly women and children, they're sitting on the floor, uh, beaming smiles as they hear about the grace of Jesus Christ, is what I imparted to them. And they're saying, amen, amen. They're just blessed by gospel truth. It was absolutely awesome. And then we took a picture on the outside of the church there. So that was the first stop before we even get going. And we weren't done yet. We went there immediately to... Uh, our second stop was at the new orphanage building. I came back. We came back a year ago in October. We shared our testimony of the ministry in India and Tanali and the needs and the children's home and the orphanage home. And we told you that day in October that we could buy a piece of ground and build a house for whatever the cost was, about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars 14000 And that very day here at GBF, we gave more than $14,000. I don't know if you realize that. On that day when I told you, the money came in. It was unbelievable. We immediately got that to John Paul, and they began immediate construction. And so when we got there, the building is completed, as Bob had shared, and there's green tape on the doors, and there's as soon as we get there, the the orphans, they're all standing in front of the building like this, uh, greeting us as we pull up in the car. And so here was where they were greeting us right there. That's exactly what they looked like. Got out of the car, and boom, and it says, Grace uh, Bible Children's Home. So John Paul renamed everything Grace Bible three years ago after we partnered in ministry. It's Grace Bible Children's Home. His church is Grace Bible Church of India, Tanali. Uh, Grace Bible uh, Home for the Elderly. Grace Bible Orphans. I mean, I've, whatever they are. So the, for the elderly. So that's uh, the name that he has adopted. Uh, so it's quite a blessing. And so uh, we, me... And you can't see the green tape very well there, but it, they hadn't been in there yet. So this was the grand opening and day of dedication. It was unbelievable. The timing, the providence of God. So we were able to cut the tape. I cut the tape of the first door, and then Bob got to cut the tape, and JR got to cut some tape, and Stephen Williams cut some tape, and John Paul. And then the kids, they all got in single file, and they went through the house for the first time. And they are singing a song, praise to Jesus, going through the house uh, with John Paul and celebrating and giving glory to God for the whole thing it was absolutely amazing. So thank you for your generosity. And the kids, the children were blessed. Then we went in. Yeah, there we are. We're cutting the tape. Then we went in and we actually sat down. They separated the boys from the girls in two separate rooms. They sat on the floor. And the highlight was they got to have a fresh glass of milk. That was a huge celebration. 
So we sat there as uh, they were mixing the milk, and boy, this this girl, there's the the brother. He's one of the pastors there. He's actually pouring the milk, and then I'm kind of uh, having fun with the girls there, chatting, taking pictures, and they're making faces at me. And this girl, she is enjoying her cup of milk. Many of you given uh, regularly to the ministry, and some of that ministry actually goes to trying to get the children, the orphans, a cup of milk at least once a month. Then after we went to the new building of the orphanage, uh, just just a couple blocks away, he took us to the old orphanage. It's a mud hut with a thatched roof. Not the greatest picture in the world. Uh, on the back side, I took a picture of what it was made of. It's, it looks like it's made of mud. Actually, it is made of sticks and mud. And then the out, instead of stucco, is dung. Dung, like cow poo-poo. Really, that's what it is. You can see it cracking, and that's what they lived in. But we weren't done yet. After that, we went to go see the a church that they have been building. Not John Paul, but another pastor and one of uh, the pastors that John Paul knows. It's in the background. It's going to be a sizable church. They've been building it for three years. Don't know how much longer it's going to take to continue doing that. But there's a plot of land right there that we're standing on uh, that they would like to purchase from uh, the, a local Hindu owns the land. They're putting it for sale. Uh, would like to purchase. John Paul's praying over that land so that could purchase that land and then build a home for the elderly. The elderly don't have a home. The orphans do now. The widows do now. And now he wants to get one for uh, the elderly. And there are many of them. And so uh, I asked John Paul, can we just pray? And so the brothers started praying. I think Pastor Bob led the prayer, prayer that God would give us wisdom and leading. Then after seeing that plot of land that we trust in the future will be the new home for the elderly. We went to the current place where they try to minister to the elderly. What they do is they try to provide meals on a regular basis for the elderly. And some of these are just, they're out in the street. Some of them have little huts that they live in, but they gather at the local church. They sit on the patio in front of the church and then the pastors provide a meal for them. So there's about uh, at least 30. They feed them, give a devotional, then they leave. And then the next group of 30 comes in. And so I was, we went there and I preached there to the elderly, this is the same place we went last year. Uh, they're all sitting on the ground, and they are eating rice and whatever else. And they eat with their hands, by the way. Not because they're poor, but that's the way they do it over there. And Stephen Williams does that. Stephen, my buddy, my sophisticated buddy, educated buddy, who was in America for four years, he eats with his hands. And he said, that's the way you do it here, Cliff. As a matter of fact, it's the right way. God, God gave us fingers on our arms, not forks and spoons. And as a matter of fact, if you don't wash your hands, it tastes even better. It's more salty. It's like, Really? Try it. He kept saying that every meal. Try it. Try it. No. I'm a sissy. Ain't going to do it, Stephen. Sorry. So we went to the elderly uh, home there, and then I got to preach there, and just simple 10 minutes, gospel. And they were blessed by hearing about Jesus. We don't even know if all of them are saved, if they've heard the gospel. We know they've heard the gospel. We don't know if they are all saved. So I just want to make sure and gave them the gospel. That was the priority. So they're all sitting on the floor. Um, oops, there's JR. They're sitting on the floor and JR gets to sit in a chair and drink Sprite while they're drinking other stuff. And notice the uh, flower lay around his neck. That was one of the ways that they honor special guests and especially pastors who are visiting. So everywhere you go, especially last time, they're giving you this lay as you come. Beautiful, fresh flowers. They're real. And it's a way to honor and give esteem to visitors and pastors, and so that's why that's there. So here's a shot of 
they're sitting down on the ground, and there I'm actually preaching to the elderly, and that's who we're praying for. Uh, so after we went to the elderly home, then we began our long trek for about an hour and a half to John Paul's place where the main church is and where the Shepherd's Conference will be. And so there it is. So it's kind of on a compound, and it's surrounded by a wall, and close by the wall you've got some buildings here. Mostly those are Hindus living there in a, uh, like a apartment complex and on the other side as well. And they know they're Hindus because they celebrate in very distinct ways there as Hindus, certain times of the day and also with certain kinds of festivals and also certain kinds of music and also certain kinds of idols that they worship and throw over the fence in John Paul's backyard and on his roof to really to harass him. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, so that's something they have to deal with and try to be salt and light um, in light of that. So it is a compound. It's somewhat safe. Off the busyness of the street, John Paul set up tents for the Shepherds Conference so that the pastors could sit under there and eat their meals three times a day and have fellowship. Worked out fantastic. Uh, On this compound is the home of John Paul. There's John Paul on the left. His son, Joshua, who's going on 17 years of age now and is like an 11th grader in high school. They call it college, junior college studying there. Joshua says he wants to be go into ministry and be a pastor. Uh, We don't know if that desire will change, but uh, pray for Joshua that God would confirm that desire. He he shouldn't go into ministry if if that isn't where God wants him. But if God wants him, then God needs to confirm that and give him wisdom. And even he's even more specific about his desires. You want to go into ministry, what does that look like? Well, it's to go to America, go to California, go to the Cornerstone Seminary and study there under pastors and get a Master's of Divinity degree and then probably go back to India to help train his brethren, wouldn't that be awesome? That's what we need to do. That's looking long-terms, uh, long-term in terms of the ministry and adding depth to it. We need to do that. I can only do so much from a distance and as a foreigner in a different language. Uh, so pray for Joshua that God would confirm that or raise up two to three men like Joshua, young men who can uh, go someplace where they can get this kind of biblical training and then go back and invest in their community, their people, uh, all of their days. So, and then their wonderful, uh, John Paul's wonderful wife, uh, Sudarani, she was our cook three meals a day. She did a fantastic job and a very gracious, lovely host. And, uh, so there's John Paul, JR, again, not, the, it's a little dark in the picture. There's Pastor Bob. He's actually eating with his hands. Last day there, one of the last meals, he got up the courage and he was doing it. So I had to get a picture. I did. And Stephen was teaching him how to do it the right way. As we sat every breakfast, We'd be sitting around the table, and then outside the door, the orphans would line up, boys on one side, girls on one side that lived. There's a, a 18 to 20 orphans who actually live on the compound where John Paul's home and church is. And so they're there every day, and they have a couple of ladies that oversee them, take care of them, and they go to actually they go to the public school every day, take the bus or however they get there. And so they line up, they got their backpacks on, and they, they begin by singing us a song. So we hear the singing through the door. We get up from the breakfast table, take a picture, was able to pass out some candy to them, and they all gave me a high five, and then they went off to school each day. And it looked like they ranged from about age 6 to 12 or so. But just wonderful children, just all, with, again, with just great joy, beaming with smiles. Uh, kids are the same wherever you go, it seems. So they were quite... Uh, the blessing, and here's another picture of uh, the orphans there. That's on the compound there. And there, notice in the bottom left, I couldn't help myself, there was a basketball hoop on the on the premises. 
So yes, I had to go over there, got, gathered the girls, and they were shooting. Stephen Williams took him over there to shoot baskets. I'm thinking, Stephen doesn't know anything about basketball. He's, he's teaching him wrong technique. So I went, I interrupted. I said, Stephen, step aside. Sorry. Take pictures. Uh, and then I began to work with the girls on proper form, elbow under the ball. Anyway. And they actually were enjoying it. So see how they're practicing. We'll come back next year and see what happens. So Bob already showed the picture of our team of teachers. There they are. There's Stephen. I told you already about him. Uh, our wonderful translator, Pastor Isaac, who is 65 years old, the older brother of John Paul. He's the, actually the technical. He's the pastor, the lead pastor of that church. He was our translator. We, we did, I think, 15 to 16 sessions of teaching, standing just like this, 45 minutes to 50 minutes each session. And, and Isaac is standing up translating every single one of them over the course of three days. 16 sessions. John Paul relieved him once or twice. But that's just amazing. Great energy that he has. And he was so blessed and thankful. And he would tell me between sessions of all that he is learning. He had formal Bible training in the 1970s and actually at a Bible college there in India. So he's actually got some pretty good, solid theology. Been a pastor for over 30 years. His dad was a pastor. And he was blessed by what he was learning as he was translating for us with all the subjects. J.R. went through some of those. Soteriology. It was like a seminary-level education, uh, bibliology, anthropology, homardiology, demonology, all those ologies, homardiology. I was, I was teaching them Hebrew words. I was teaching them Greek words. I made them say it out loud. I was teaching, they, they don't know anything with respect to the biblical languages, but by the time we were done, they had some Hebrew words down, like, amen, hallelujah. Because they, they were saying that. Uh, during the singing and all this, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah, amen. And then I got up to teach and I, and I said, you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Anybody here of you pastors know any Hebrew? And nobody raised their hand. I said, are you sure? Nobody raised their hand. And I said, well, here's the Hebrew word, amen. Here's another one, hallelujah. And so they were excited to know they already knew Hebrew. And Yahweh and Shalom. And I was like, oh, this Hebrew stuff, this is easy. Elohim. And then I taught them some Greek words as well, like amen. That's a Greek word. And amen, that's a Hebrew word too. And lo and behold, I found out that amen was a Telugu word. Kind of like our English word. It means the same in all languages. So we had a great time. That was Isaac, wonderful ministry. John Paul, he's amazing. We saw another side of John Paul we hadn't seen before. John Paul's been here with us twice. Some of you have hosted him in his home. Some of you have tried to talk to him. And some of you have said, well, why? He's kind of a quiet, passive uh, guy. Is he like really a pastor? Does he really talk and stuff? And teach, well, yeah, he's very mild-mannered. He is quiet. But when you see him in the ministry context, he is amazing. He is a master administrator. He's an incredible net worker. The hundred and plus pastors have just great respect for him as a local church leader, but also a leader of the leaders. So his administrative skills we've seen before in the past, and we're amazed at how in the world does he communicate on a regular basis with over 100 pastors who live up to two hours away in the remotest of villages, some of them with absolutely no technological uh, way to communicate through Internet. or How does he do it? Highly gifted. But here at the conference, he was, he was the host of the conference, and he did a fantastic job for the pastors. He was encouraging them. He was also the song leader. So he'd get up there. So they had song all the time. They would open sessions with song and music. 
Uh, and then we'd teach a session or two, and then he would have more song and praise, and he was leading the men in singing. He was he sang several solos in their native language, Telugu. Uh, it was absolutely amazing, and he did that for three days. And that was a side of John and his giftedness we had never seen. So he did an absolutely fantastic job. In, in the picture there, that's the music team. Usually the music that I have seen in the churches that we visited last year and even in this year, the small little churches, usually it's just like a tambourine or a thing that looks kind of like a bongo and they kind of bang on it and sing. That's the extent of their music ministry. And it's usually spontaneous. They do learn the words and their biblical words to songs. Uh, here, John Paul wanted the music to be special. And so he actually hired a professional uh, drum player who was amazing, had this electronic drum set, and he's a Christian. And also a professional keyboard player who's a believer. And he was amazing as well. And so the music uh, for them was just a a rare treat that they they don't have. Some of them never. And the volume, they play it very loud. Very, very loud. And they like that. They enjoy that. Some of you would be complaining. Turn down the music. Not Not them. We walk out. I'm deaf. My ears are ringing. This, This is good. Okay. Well, that's how they did it. They were celebrating and a joyful noise and psalm. And then John Paul explained that to me. We we believe doing it like this in a very celebratory manner in light of Psalm 150, which talks about those resounding clashing cymbals that kind of hurt your ears. They take that literally. But anyway, uh, so that was their music ministry. That was an absolute highlight for those pastors for this once-in-a-lifetime shepherds conference. And then there's me, Pastor Bob, J.R., as we were teaching our respective sessions, they got a lot of theology over the course of three days. I mean, it was just a lot to take in. And they were excellent students. They're taking notes. They're following along. How do you know they're following along? By the responses that they give. J.R. mentioned that. Every once in a while, there would be a loud amen. Oh, okay, I must have said something good that they liked. Or a drum roll. <laughs> this drummer started to get into it. Anytime you like something that... J.R. got more drum rolls than the rest of us for whatever reason. Um, Stephen got some drum rolls as they really thoroughly enjoyed. Stephen, you can't see in the front row, but these guys, they just have smiles on their face because they just absolutely loved uh, their brother, Stephen Williams. And there they are diligently taking notes and taking in, learning lots, just a couple of shots of uh, what the crowd looked like uh, in the conference as these brothers were. Question, one thing I was trying to discern is what is their theology like? What is their training? They have limited resources. What do they believe? Uh, from all my interactions with the men on Skype, those pastors incredibly well-versed in the Bible. All they have is a Telugu Bible translated from the King James Version in the 1840s. Uh, they read it from beginning to end. They're not distracted by all these other things that we have here in the West and here in America. So much of their time is given to reading their Bible and rereading their Bible and rereading their Bible and studying their Bible. And they know the stories of the Bible. They know the details of the Bible. They know that in the book of Acts, the man that fell out of the window when Paul was preaching because he went on so long was named Tychicus. But because I asked them that and they knew the name of that man. Just so some obscure things. It's like, wow, just trying to check their Bible knowledge. It was also... When you go to a foreign country and teach, uh, I, last April, if you remember, I went to a shepherd's conference in Honduras. And there's about 100 pastors there. And I don't know Espanol. I mean, I took it for three years and about flunked out in high school, but I don't know Spanish. So I'm dependent upon a translator. I don't know anything about their theology. And I'm just teaching boldly what I think Scripture says. And you just wonder, what do they think? Have they been exposed to this? Have they been taught a different way? Do they resist what I'm saying? 
Are they just being polite by not chasing me out of the church? What's going on? I remember the first time I went to Kiev four plus years ago where they speak Russian and I was at the seminary there. And this also happened in Siberia where they also speak Russian and taught the pastors there. The first time I did that, after day two of teaching, we went into the cafeteria with my translator and he told me, oh, they're mad at you. After day two, oh, they're mad at you. <laughs> I was like, how do you know? They were talking under their breath, of course, in Russian. So you didn't understand actually talking in front of your face and you didn't understand. I said, oh, well, what were they upset about? Well, because you were referring when you were going through Romans chapter nine, you talked about election and you were teaching on election. I said, well, yeah, it's in the Bible. I said, well, they don't like that. They don't they don't believe it. Most of these guys don't believe in election. They've been taught the opposite. It's like, really? Wow. OK, that's good to know. Don't don't tell me what they don't like again, because I don't want to be. I don't want to cave. I just want to teach what I think the Bible says. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, we we made some headway there. So ever since then. Uh, have been cognizant and trying to be sensitive to where they're coming from and what's new for them. That's important. Put it in the right context. Give it proper explanation. Uh, so it's hard to discern. Uh, so I did do some occasional checks on their theology, and I thought of some controversial things here in America, here in uh, Northern California that would be highly controversial in our evangelical churches. Things like um, pastor, can, can a woman be a pastor? Uh, and the most controversial of all in the American church would be your view of Genesis 1 through 3. The, the dominant view of evangelical churches, it sounds like, or at least pastors here in Northern California, is that Genesis 1 through 3 isn't all historical. It's not all literal. Uh, there's theistic evolution. God used evolution. And the earth is millions and bi- the earth is billions of years old and the universe is even older than that. Well, that wouldn't be our view, at least if, not at this church, because it's not the view of the Bible. If we take Genesis literally as a historical book, the way it was written. And so when I was uh, teaching on a couple of subjects, I did ask the brothers, the pastors at the end of our conference. I said, do, do you, anybody that believes that Adam and Eve were real, raise your hand. They all raised their hand. I said, anybody believe that Noah was real, raise your hand. They all raised their hand. Anybody believe that there was a real worldwide universal flood, raise your hand. They all raised their hand. Anybody believe that a snake actually talked to Eve, raise your hand. They all raised their hand. Anybody believe that Genesis is literal, Genesis 1 through 11, and they all raise their hand? So this idea of evolution or theistic evolution, or that Genesis is metaphorical, is foreign to them. They think that is absurd. How can a Christian not take Genesis literally? Genesis 12 about Abraham is literal. Why isn't Genesis 9 about Noah literal? Genesis 37 about Joseph is literal. Why is not Genesis 3 about the snake and Eve literal? They don't understand that. They think it's unbelief. They think it's deception. They think it's wrong. That is their view. They haven't been influenced by liberal theology that came out of Germany beginning in the 1700s that trickled down it, that it now dominates our thought here in America, and it's called academic and scholarly, and actually it's unbelief of the Bible. They haven't been exposed to it, yet they just take their Bible at face value. It is incredibly refreshing. That's the same thing I found in Honduras with the, the men there. They don't even, haven't even heard these evolutionary views. And even in Russia and Siberia, where they have a lot of advanced academia and technology, they, they think the Bible is literal. It is 6,000 years old. It was six literal days. How could you think otherwise? You Americans are stupid, they would tell me, for believing that. 
That deception and lying. So that was particularly true in India with the Christian pastors because the, long before there was Darwin in the 1800s, there was another form of macroevolution that was false, and it's called reincarnation. And it's the backbone of Hinduism that is thousands of years old. So when they hear about Darwinian evolution, they just think reincarnation. That's false religion. You must take the Bible literally. That was their view. So, again, that was just a breath of fresh air. I don't have to bend over backwards to try to apologize for what the Bible says. Uh, and that was kind of cool. It, the shoes, the just sandals and shoes. You take your shoes off before. I'm sorry I wore shoes today to church. That's very disrespectful for me uh, if I was in India. And then outside was, you can't see it very well, but this, these are just lines of motorcycles and scooters. Because that's how a lot of these pastors got from their church. Some of them were driving almost two hours on these very dangerous roads to get to this three-day conference. There's a tent that John Paul rented. He rented two, two of them. And that's where they had sweet fellowship as they ate their meals. The, the food that was... By the way, John Paul provided a, a professional caterer for their meals. Like they do at the Shepherd's Conference. At Grace Community Church, if you've never heard about it, seen it, experienced, Grace Community Church lays out the red carpet for the pastors that are coming from all over the world. And just the extra special touch in just about everything. And John Paul has experienced that himself. He's been to the Shepherds Conference a couple of times. And so he wanted to do that. And so this was one of his ways of doing it. And the meal that he provided is he, he has this professional caterer on the campus. They're preparing the food, three meals a day. These pastors were just absolutely loving it. Going back seconds and thirds. Uh, and so their souls were blessed and their stomachs were filled. So it was a... Just a, and there's um, on the ground up top is one of the ladies whose her full time job was cutting veggies, and the cooks there. And then many of you saw the group shot that we sent through the email. That's the pastors. There were probably yeah over 110 plus. Could have been near that 150 mark, but not every pastor could be there every day because they had duties to tend to. Um, but they were an absolute joy and blessing. Uh, Isaac just kept telling us, thank you so much. They've never had anything like this. This is fantastic. They are so blessed. We are so blessed. We hate to see you go. Uh, please thank your people for their prayers and their provisions and their love for us. And you've never met Isaac. Lord willing, you'll get to meet him in March because we want to fly him out here for the Shepherds Conference. He will bless uh, your soul. Many of you told me you were praying for us before I left, before we left. While I was over there in India, many of you actually sent emails to us saying we're praying for you how's it going thank you for being so deliberate so thoughtful that was incredibly encouraging i just want you to know god answered every prayer that i could think of some of you were very specific about how you were praying and so here's just a few uh, all the money that we needed to raise for this trip was raised and then some a little bit praise god we got our visas. That was a big deal because uh, the, the, um, the government in India has changed and become more aggressive in terms of Hinduism over the last couple of years. I have a friend in Texas. He's a pastor. He's been denied a visa to go to India as a, in a, a ministry, Pastor Mark. And it was very um, – I met the pastor in Texas who hosted John Paul the first time, and he has been denied a visa. He's not allowed to go for whatever reason. So we didn't know uh, how this was going to go. And we – me – Bob and JR, we all got granted visas, so that was an answer to prayer. Safety in our traveling over 17,000 miles. We stayed healthy the whole time that we were there. Fifteen is probably more than 15 sessions taught on biblical ministry. Like I said, average of 45 minutes each session. There was team unity among our missions team, me, 
me, Stephen, Bob, Jr. I mean, Bob and Jr. they never met Stephen. I didn't know how it was going to go in terms of our unity. Uh, and then you're in such close quarters together for seven, eight days, and sometimes there can be conflict, and Satan wants to drive a wedge between the leadership team to undermine the ministry. God honored that. We got along to perfection the entire time. It was such a blessing. Stephen Williams was a blessing. Answer to prayer, eight, uh, number eight, JP's coordination of everything. It all came together. He was trusting the Lord. Uh, number nine, all the pastors were blessed that we got feedback from. Number 10, perfect weather. Number 11, great hospitality as they welcomed us. Number 12, it was just an absolute blessing to see the new orphans home and to be there on dedication day. Couldn't have timed it better. The providence of God. And then 13, the widow's home completed as you saw in the picture earlier. So thank you for your prayers. We give glory to God. And if you have further questions or details, you can come. Feel free to talk to any of us. And with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and and thank him for this blessing, but also for ongoing grace in the continuation of this ministry. Father, we thank you for the Lord's day. Thank you for all these answered prayers. And there's even more than that. You deserve all the glory for it. I pray that your spirit would be with every one of the pastors that attended, that you would deepen their faith. Strengthen their commitment to you. Help them strive for personal holiness and godliness in their life and in their families. Give them wisdom in their local churches. Make them bold evangelists wherever they go. Make them caring shepherds for their people. Continue to provide for them through local means, but also from churches around the world as you have been doing. Thank you for John, Paul, and Isaac and their amazing leadership. Continue to protect them. Give them strength. Keep them healthy. We pray that the details can come together, that they can get a respite and be blessed by the Shepherds Conference coming up in March. And we thank you for tangible things that are so amazing like this orphan's home, the widow's home. And now we do pray for, according to your will, a future elderly home. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We give you all the praise and glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.